Blah, y'all already know what it is. Your boy, Yakob, what it do? The outlet to reality, the podcast in Vegas and Chicago. What up? This is the place where you want to hide from your drama or maybe hide from your baby mama. <laughs> Just kidding. But, anyways, I want to thank my fans for listening. Don't forget to share, like, comment, subscribe. Cha-ching! And I had to bring my boy Chino back from Let's Talk About You. What's up, brother? <laughs> What it do, Yakov? What it do? <laughs> and today we have a very special guest, our first comedian ever on this podcast. Uh, give it up for Heather, man. Heather, thank you for coming through. <laughs> um, hi guys. <laughs> you didn't know how to pronounce her name, right? Yeah, it's like my word. I got a little nervous. I ain't gonna lie. I got a little shy. I don't really get shy like that, but I got shy. <laughs> Heather, how do you pronounce your last name? Well, I pronounce it Dragalescu, but it's not correct. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, I don't even pronounce it correctly. My poor husband, he gets to listen to me butcher it daily. Oh, okay, <laughs> so I ain't the only one. I, I got no. a little stuck. That's why I kind of stuck. <laughs> I didn't want to say it wrong. But um, improvised. Right, right. So real quick, guys, I want to share a little quick story that happened to me a couple months ago. So pretty much I, uh, I went to Texas. I go to Texas like all, all the time. And I went through and I actually didn't know when you are driving, you have to pass the border inspection from Vegas to Texas, I, which I didn't know because I always fly. So I get the border inspection. Like it's like the border patrol, pretty much. They're dressed the same and they have like big old like cars and stuff. And it's like it's the same, but it's so weird because I thought it was only between Mexico and Texas. But it's even around Texas, so it's it's kind of crazy. So so I get there with, with my friend, right, my pretty friend, and we're we're going through, right? And you're not gonna believe this. Before we went, I she told me last minute she bought presents for all her friends, and they happened to be all edibles. And I didn't know that Texas is able to have any sort of marijuana. <laughs> Oh, it's still illegal there. It's still illegal. And Vegas is not. Or Chicago. So I get there, and I'm like, man, wait, wait. Under my leg, it's like a bunch of edibles. Like, we're talking about Captain Crunch and pretzels that look like, you know, sprinkles and Christmas colors. So I was going crazy. I'm like, girl, we're about to go to the Border Patrol right here. And there's like a lot of them in the front. And you have a German Shepherd going to each car and smelling around the car. So I was like, yo, I'm going to jail tonight. So I told her, yo, I'm going to eat all these edibles because I ain't trying to go to jail. So I start eating them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like eating them so fast. My Dude, eye- you're the only brown guy in that car. They know they was going to stop you, man. They were going to stop you regardless. <laughs> probably, probably, man. My eyes opened up, man. Like never seen Willy Wonka. So I was just like happy as heck. And I'm, you know, I'm eating it so quick. I had like four pieces left and they're like big old bags. I have four little, you know, edibles left. I can't do it. My stomach hurts. I ate too much. I didn't have breakfast. I don't think I'm going to make it. So we get there. I have like the biggest smile ever because, you know, I don't know if y'all know, but it gives you a little side effect. So I'm like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So we get there and this pretty border patrol comes out and she's like, oh, status on citizens? Meaning, are you guys citizens? And my friend, she goes, Yes. And I don't want to say nothing. I kind of stay quiet because I know if I talk, man, this is going to go down. So I'm going to let my friend do the talking. <laughs> so she's like, all right, give me 
a few minutes. Man, I don't know what she was doing talking to the Border Patrol co-workers. They were discussing for about 30 minutes. And I'm like, girl, we're going to jail. I can't finish that four edibles. It's just so much. I can't take it. The dog is barking at us. So that's a sign that he can smell what we got. And I don't eat this stuff. Like, I, I never do this. This is not me. But to eat all this to save your life, I had to do it. <laughs> so I'm, like, scared. I'm shaking. I'm sweating. I felt like eight miles. My palms are heavy. My spaghetti. They she would know. The lady comes back, and I'm freaking out. She goes, you guys could come through. Y'all good. I'm like, praise the Lord, we made it. So we keep going, right? We're driving. My friend tells me, I ain't know about this part. She's like, David, I'm so glad I was driving, you know? And I'm like, yeah, girl, because if I was driving, I would have left you in the dip. Like, honestly, I would have drove up. See ya. But I'm like, man, girl, you don't ever do that again. Like, you should have warned me. And then she tells me something I didn't know that she did was that she said she even brought a little bag of Coke. And I can't believe it. I was like, girl, are you stupid? Are you really trying to make me go to jail? Because I ain't trying to go to jail. And she's like, I knew you were going to freak out. That's why I'm telling you now. I said, you should have never told me because now I'm mad at you. Real quick, that's my story, y'all. Uh, Hopefully, you... no Texas police people hear this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I I did get stopped by the border patrol uh, from my fans out there and you guys. I exaggerated the part that I ate it. I never ate it. Now I, I get. It. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it made it interesting. That's why I shared it like that. And. <clears throat> So my fans don't think like, damn, David, he's like uh, exported, imported, all that crap. That's not me, man. That's just I, I. The thing is, I put a story that happened, but like I exaggerated to make it long and interesting. I kept adding stuff on, but I think that's the beauty of making a piece of stand up, right? So that's my little part. But anyways, let's get to the main topic. Our comedian Heather, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> So, quick question, Heather. Mm -hmm. uh, I love your uh, TikTok profile where it says half co comedian and half Korean. I love that. Yes. I think it's so catchy. I was like, that? <laughs> I've never heard that. And so, what What really got you? Well, before I say that, mm -hmm. what? tell us a little bit so our fans know, like, your background, where you grew up in, if you're, like, a native in sure. Vegas. And no. I um so yes I am half Korean. My parents met uh, during the Vietnam War in Korea. My dad was stationed there. He's a military guy, and my father's actually a writer for a lot of shows that probably your parents' generation knows: um, GI Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony. But like the original ones, not the reboots. He was and a so, writer. Yeah, he was a writer for all of those. And he moved to California. He was from North Carolina. He hated the cold weather. So I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, the famous valley, like where the valley slang comes from. The valley. That's, yes. Like totally everything. That's where I'm from, um, which is why my name's Heather. That's what I always say, because who names an Asian baby Heather? That's not smart. <laughs> they can't even pronounce the name properly. So uh, it was a very typical childhood, I guess, growing up in the Valley, like a lot of malls, 
a lot of walking around, just hanging out. And it was a great childhood. Um, I had weird friends. I was like part of the weird group. We did a lot of skits. We filmed, we had, I don't know if you, this is probably like such old tech for you guys. I mean, not look old, but I'm old. Um, but our video cameras were like actual VHS cassette tapes in them. So you could hook them up to your VCR and edit and we would make movies and skits. And I just had a ton of fun. I went to a performing arts high school. I loved it. I loved theater. I loved film. I knew I wanted a career in this. Um, so I went to UCLA, uh, School of Theater, Film and Television, and I got a degree in design. And then I spent the next 20 years working in themed entertainment, which is theme parks, museums, mall experiences. And the last major project I produced, I was a creative producer on for about a half, mil a half billion dollar theme park in Dubai. Ooh. And yeah, and um, about six years ago, I adopted, so seven years ago, I guess we got them, a sibling set of three. So I went from like no kids, my husband and I are high school sweethearts, we went from no kids to three kids all at one time. And wow. yeah, it was crazy. And the stress of that, my husband was also working for a different themed entertainment company. So he was going to Dubai all the time. It was too much. And the stress of everything got overwhelming. And I no longer had a creative outlet that I felt safe in. So I kind of just woke up January 1st, 2018 and looked at my husband and was like, I'm going to start doing stand-up. And he's like, okay take a class or something. So I did, I took a class and then I found out I loved it and I just didn't stop doing it. And then about a year after I started doing standup, I quit my full-time job to focus on standup. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing girl. And, and, and real quick, mm -hmm. I, I got two questions. I got, I sure. so what's your dad's name? Because I was shocked when you said, he said, oh. Transformers, that's like that. She, she had yes. me a GI Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can Google him. His name is Buzz Dixon. Okay. And if you, you glue it up, yeah, he'll pop up. I'm honest. I swear it's true. Uh, and yeah, like he, he got to be story editor on like G.I. Joe, the movie. I think he was in the room recording when, who was it? Like Orson Welles or something was doing Transformers. Like it's all these cool stories about, you know, his life and the 80s of cartoons. And I grew up like in this weird atmosphere where I would go to his work. But um, they would have, they're called Bibles. I don't know if you've ever talked about this on the show, but every show has a Bible. And that Bible is everything about every character, every vehicle, everything. So if you're like, oh, uh, this character, would they carry a knife or a gun? You can go to the Bible and the Bible will tell you. Oh, wow. And like they would photocopy the character sheets for me. And like I would spend summers like coloring character sheets from the Bible like in the G.I. Joe offices, the Transformer offices, I found when we were moving cassettes of like original demo songs for the My Little Pony show and Gem and the Hologram. So I've got demo tapes and I'm like, I got to put these online somehow if it's legal, because I think people would like to hear them. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'd be cool. That'd be dope. Dang, that's, that's crazy. And also, like, I remember a while back when we, we first met, um, you were heading to an audition and I thought it was yeah. crazy. It was during the, we were still in the pandemic. It was last yeah. year. Yeah, It was nuts. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. Sorry, All you're good. I was going to say is like, how did it go to auditions? And, and do you feel like yeah. more people are um, like the industry for like actors or comedians? Do you feel like there's more stuff going? Cause I didn't even know that. Like I thought that was shocking. That Yeah, it was, um, so I'll backtrack a little bit. I started doing stand-up comedy. And by the end of my first year, I managed to get a manager, which is 
very fast. And I got an audition the day I signed with her. And then a few weeks later, it was January. And my second audition, I booked. And I was like, how crazy is this? Acting must be so easy. So then I did pretty consistently auditions through the next year, booked a couple more jobs, uh, got an agent in the end of November of last year. Uh, no, sorry. Now that's 2020, 2019 got an agent. So I've got an agent and a manager now and I book the first job my agent sends me on. And then that's in 2020 and then COVID hits. Um, and I was on avail. So avails means that they're interested in you. It doesn't mean you've been guaranteed the job, but they're interested in booking you. So I was doing really great. I was going on three to four auditions a week. I was on avails. I was getting callbacks and then everything just stopped. Like, everything. And it got really quiet with auditions kind of dying down. Uh, in person, definitely were gone. Even acting auditions kind of started dying down and you started to see the rise of voiceover auditions. So a lot more voiceover started because it's a lot easier to, especially if somebody's got the equipment at home, to record a voiceover audition and cast it from home versus having to actually film with the crew and everything. So voiceovers have had a big surge during this whole COVID-19 experience. And then about August, because um, pilot season was shot this year, a lot of auditions started hitting again. So I was getting maybe one a week, you know, where I was averaging three or four, like I'd get one. And then maybe once a month, I would have two week on in an audition. And then suddenly in December, well, in November when we met, they were starting to do in-persons again. So they had not been doing in-persons and they were weird. They were like outside in a tent, you're six feet away, uh, you're, you're trying to act and it's nearly impossible. Uh, you have to bring your own props and like towels in to cover anything that you might touch. So you don't pass anything around. They did uh, temperature tests before you came in but they started to have in-person again. And then there was that massive shutdown once again in California where they really pulled back one more time. So it really has gone primarily online at this point, online auditions and doing Zoom auditions, self tapes. And I hate it, but that's kind of where the industry is right now. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. And Chino, what about you, man? You got, you got anything for uh, our superstar yeah. right here? So what's up, Heather? Hi. Uh, Chino, as I said before, uh, nice to meet you. Nice so, to meet you too. It's interesting. Your introduction, you said a lot. You had a lot that I want to kind of yeah, no about, problem. ask about. I don't know what's okay and what's not. So let's get into it. Uh, you randomly just brought up that you adopted three kids. So how did that happen? Uh, I was 10 years old when I saw this 2020. I don't even know if you guys know that reference, but 2020 show about orphan children in Romania. And I was like, there are orphans in this world. There are children without parents. And it was so upsetting that I knew in that moment I was going to adopt. Now, my husband, as I said, high school sweetheart. So he's like 17, I'm 15. I'm like, we're going to adopt when we get married. And he's like, okay, sounds great. Uh, and then I made him stick to that. And we had a great life, like 13 years we were married, had fun, literally did trips where we booked trips to Hawaii, like, and left that evening to go to Hawaii for the weekend, like had awesome. tons of fun as a married couple. But then it was time we were ready to become parents. And I was like, remember about the adoption. And we wanted two kids ages three to five. And we got three kids ages six to nine. So not what we intended, but it was, it was not great the first few years. Like I, I'm going to go real and go honest. Uh, our kids had a lot of trauma, a lot more than they knew about the social workers. 
and they didn't reveal until about six months into our home. So the first three years of foster adopting these kids were a nightmare. They're a living hell. Like I, it's it, the saddest I've ever been, the most depressed, the most like, I just want to end it all for three years. And then suddenly the clouds parted one day and I can't tell you when or where it happened or if there was an event, but things just stopped feeling bad and things started to feel normal and life started to feel normal. And it's actually around that time I quit my job. So maybe in a way, quitting that full-time job and allowing me to focus on the family unit allowed things to breathe a little bit more. So awesome. it really, yeah, it, it took a little craziness, but yeah, adopting three kids at one time is not, not easy. Uh, highly recommend though. Just know it's going to be a nightmare for a few years. That's Aww. real. That's real. Awesome. And I guess uh, the other question I have for you is, you know, you say one day you wake up, you say, I'm just going to do comedy. You take a class. So just tell me a little about your experience, your first time up on stage. Like how nervous were you? How like sweating were you? Did you bomb it? Did you do great? Like just tell me. It, about that. it was very safe. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have this philosophy, like you got to just go to open mics, just go to open mics. Yeah. I mean, you have to go to open mics. You need to practice. You're never going to be good if you don't practice. But why not take a class where somebody very can quickly tell you if you suck, you know, or if your writing is bad and steer you on the proper course. So I took this class at a place called Flappers in Burbank. And the first show is a very safe, very welcoming show. It's a student showcase. So I didn't bomb, um, but I did get nervous and I still get nervous to this day, even though I have a tight 10 that I know I can perform. It's good top to bottom. I can get it out. I will still cramp up in my hands. I will still get stomach pains. I can't eat an hour before a show. Um, I'll still get tongue tied. I'll get the chills. It just, it comes. And I met a comedian named Larry Miller. You've seen him everywhere. If you look it up, you'll be like, oh my God, he was in this film. He's in this film. Uh, he's on the um, Adam Carolla show all the time. And he was giving me advice one night. We were on the same show together. I couldn't believe it. And I said, give me advice. He's like, I'll give you two pieces of advice. One, don't listen to anybody's advice. Their advice is stupid. Don't listen to it. He's like, two, but if you're going to listen to a piece of advice, listen to this one. Don't be afraid. Be angry that you're afraid. And if you're feeling afraid of going on stage, get angry at yourself and turn that into energy to push back out. He's like, but never let yourself go up on stage afraid. Go up that you're angry that you're afraid and you'll do fine. Wow. I like that. Damn. I man. like that too. I must, I must remember, remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Almost that, but then that's crazy. That's crazy. I was gonna tell you from experience, right? From doing stand up, I noticed that if you go to like Laugh Factory, right? I don't know mm -hmm. if you, you went to the open mic here in, in Vegas, but in like Chicago, for example, like everybody there are trying to be like a big comedian. So my audience were all people that are just like me that are trying to get there, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was sharing my best you know, stand-ups, like I had my friends come and support me. They were the only people laughing mm -hmm. and nobody laughed. And I knew it was funny. Like my, my piece that I put together because I was just practicing and getting it better and better. And I'm like, man, I feel prepared. So when I did it, I was like, man, they're not laughing. And I, you probably saw the same thing. Like there's oh, some yeah. mics that if they're the same kind of people that are trying to be stand-up, mm -hmm. like comedians, they're just trying to be like, nah, you, we can't laugh because we got to be better. So 
I don't know if you got to say, but that's, that's what I got. Yeah, it's like 90% of mics out there. 90% of mics are people sitting in the audience just thinking about the things that they're going to say when they get up. And then after they've gotten up, processing everything they said. It's not so much even that they, want, they don't want to laugh so that they seem better. It's that they're just like freaking out about all the things they're going to say and then all the mistakes they made. Um, my advice that I have, you know, don't take any advice. But if you're going to take this advice, was something <laughs> that somebody said to me was, you go to an open mic for you. What are you trying to accomplish? So when I go to an open mic, it's usually I'm trying to work out new pacing. I'm trying to see how I like the flow of one bit to another. I'm trying to determine if my new tags feel comfortable in the position they're in. I don't go to an open mic anymore to make anyone laugh. I go for me to practice my rhythm, to practice my pacing, and to practice my timing. Like, hey, if I'm doing this at the, the way that I want to do it, am I coming in at five minutes? Am I coming in too short? Am I going too long? It's, it's there to help me craft what I need. I'm not there to make people laugh because people don't laugh most of the time. They rarely do. I'm there to work. And we have, I started now here in Vegas. I have a few friends from LA who also moved to Vegas and we have a workout group. And so my key is like, find a group of people who are comedians who are working, who are like trying to get to that next level. And you it doesn't have to be a big group, but you sit there and you each like do 10 minutes each week or just come up with your premises or some ideas and you work through it together. So if somebody's like, oh, I don't, I don't get that joke. I don't understand what you're trying to say. Or, hey, what about this tag? What about that? Or, hey, this is a cool callback you can do later. You need to be in groups that work. And that's, okay, I'm going to dog on Vegas a little bit. I'm very sorry. <laughs> There's not a lot of open mics in Vegas. That's a fact. Like we yeah. can all agree. Oh, you yeah. go to LA and you've got 50 to 70 mics in one night that you can go to. There's not a lot of open mics in Vegas. Um, the other thing in LA that's really great is there are working mics. Like there's this company called the fourth wall that has, I think three locations and you book $5 for five minutes and you book your time and you go in to work and everybody in that room is there to work. And it's a different open mic experience. It's really different when you're amongst people who are like, we're all serious. We're trying to make this the best. I'm not here just to tell dick jokes and you know, Oh my God, can I just men, please. Unless you have something that you really think nobody has ever heard of and really think hard on it. I think ass eating jokes. We've, we've run the gamut. Like there's no more <laughs> to say about it. And I just, if you knew how many open mics, where I'm sitting through guy after guy, and sometimes a girl just talking about eating ass for five minutes. <laughs> it's like, guys, have you listened to each other? You're literally regurgitating the same exact jokes. Like we're done. We've, we've hit multi, you know, the full capacity of this topic. It's kind of like an eight mile. Pay attention, meathead. You're saying the yeah. same shit that he said. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. That's funny. That's funny. Actually, I have a question also. I mean, mm -hmm. so you, you were talking about the preparation, like how much preparation goes into doing a bit? Let's say you have a 10 minute bit. Um, Ooh, how uh, much my, do you practice? My 10 minute bit that my solid 10 that I would say my tight 10 has taken about three years to craft. Like I would wow. say that I finally got into it this year and it's not going to be my 10 minute bit forever. It's my 10 minute bit for now of where I am. Uh, and then in terms of practicing, I, I'm a little lazy. I'll admit that. So I have some shows coming up in Hawaii at the end of this month. So I've been going into full force of practicing kind of every day. And it's literally, you know, you take your phone, you put voice memo on, and I'm just trying to go at the pace that I know I'm supposed to talk. 
you know, you don't talk straight way all the way through in your stand-up comedy because nobody's going to know where to laugh. You set up your punchline, you pause, then you, or you set, you do your setup, pause, and then your punchline. So everybody knows I'm supposed to laugh right here. And you're going to find that you have a natural rhythm to how you want to tell a joke. So once you know your natural rhythm, yeah, I record myself, I practice, I make sure I'm coming in at about eight and a half minutes for my 10, because you really do have to account for laughing. We kind of underestimate ourselves mm -hmm. when we go into laughter and a lot of people suddenly freak out and they'll do two things on stage. They'll either really talk really fast, get that joke out, gotta get that joke out, gotta get that joke out. And then they end up being two minutes too short or they get so caught up in trying to be slow that they end up being two minutes over. So I aim for about eight and a half minutes on my test runs. And I know that'll hit me at 10. That's cool. That's smart. Mm -hmm. I like that. Can, can you share us a little bit of uh, your little sneak peek? Oh my gosh. We, we, can't, we can't go to Hawaii. I'm <laughs> I ain't got that kind of money yet. You know what I'm saying? I'm still trying to wait for that stimulus part two, part three. Well, first of all, I will, <laughs> but nodding on you, you know, you're never supposed to ask a comedian to tell a joke. Because that's like the worst. No, no, <laughs> like, come on, yeah. tell us a joke. No, I know, I know yeah. you're funny. I'm just saying, I'm, like, no. how about we save it for the end for the like last two okay, minutes? Okay, all right, okay. All right. that's better. That's better. I like okay, that, I like so that. Heather, mm -hmm. I'm a, and you obviously don't know this, but I'm a huge comedy buff. Like, I love oh, nice. stand up, love stand up, you know, and a, a place for that that I'm enjoying right now is Netflix because Netflix just mm -hmm. became like the number one place to watch stand ups now. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It gives a lot of comedians a platform to do that on a big uh, stage. So I have a very important question I've wanted to ask someone who who does comedy like for a living. And and it's what is your opinion on the state of comedy today in terms of sensitivity? I feel like we're in a place in the, in the world right now when a lot of people are I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but they're, they're sensitive about sure. a lot of topics. I think that's. You know, it's so funny because comedy is supposed to be, you know, like punk. It's punk rock. You know what I mean? Comedy is supposed to challenge the status quo. It's supposed to get in your face and talk about uncomfortable ideas. So I never want comedy to be stifled in that sense. I want people to talk about it. But I think that we are at a point where we need to say, okay, but we need to add a new conversation to the dialogue. Um, I don't know if you watched Nanette, that it's an uneven um, special. I did enjoy it, but she talks about some very uncomfortable ideas in it. And she goes to a very uncomfortable place to talk about. And I think that's where comedy is going. Who is it? Ah, he's on HBO. He did a whole special about his depression and how he had to get put into an uh, asylum, basically, so he wouldn't kill himself. And you're like, gee, that doesn't seem very funny. <laughs> that seems really hard, but that's what comedy is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a reflection of truth and life and honesty. And comedy is the funniest when it comes from a real raw place. So are racial issues real and raw? Absolutely. Let's make them funny. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's have that discussion. And you know, like Dave Chappelle, it's a little sad that he's the only one who can kind of really get away with it. Can you imagine Jerry Seinfeld trying to do yeah. like <laughs> racial comedy? Like, what's the deal with BLM? Like nobody, he would be over in a minute. Um, but Dave Chappelle is still allowed to be punk rock, which is great. And probably, uh, now I'm blanking on the names. I do know these people, but there are a few who can, but it's very hard. It's very hard because people want to cancel so easily so quickly and it, yeah. it, it pisses me off just like dave chappelle in his last special he said something about like 
um, you know, if you're going to have a problem with this, just just fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, because this is comedy, you know, I'm here to yeah. talk about real stuff, but make it kind of funny and mm-hmm. just don't take it too serious, you know? It's, I produce, I used to produce comedy shows in LA and I had only two absolutes, which is you don't make fun of rape and you don't, you know, you don't be racist. It's one thing to talk about racial issues and it's another thing to be like, black people are and you're white. You know what I mean? Right. So, right, right. Don't be racist and don't be a rapist. That's that's the only things. And then I think everything else is kind of fair game. Yeah. Though I might have to add ass eating because I'm just tired. I'm tired <laughs> of hearing about ass eating. Three absolutes now. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, I was going to say too, like George Lopez, he, when he had his show, I think maybe two or three years ago, he got in trouble by the, not the people on stage, but the people like after when they were criticizing his work, yeah. they're like, he was being... Um, race like he was making fun of uh why you shouldn't date a black woman pretty much that's what he was mm-hmm. saying and um dl hewley defended him and other comedians they're like look george lopez is a legend he has mm-hmm. been in the game long trying to put people down he was just sharing a little story to make people laugh you know what i'm saying and it, it kind of sucks because People will always now remember that. And it's kind of sad because he, you know, it's not his fault. I mean, it's just really weird because, like you said, like, there's some stuff now people are taking it to the heart. Like, there's, mm-hmm. I forgot what comedian, too. I, I don't know if it's Mike Epps. No, I don't think it's Mike Epps. It's some African-American comedian. But he actually did one where he said that, um, you know, I have a beautiful mansion and I always see these Mexican workers coming in doing the lawn. And he says, I never get in water, but he was being rude. But I guess mm-hmm. people were laughing. I didn't think it was funny, Yeah, but people in the crowd. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, yo, dang, but that's bogus. He ain't getting water. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody said anything to him and people. And I could say that was kind of mm-hmm. bogus to, you know, you're generalizing they're all Mexicans. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the thing about comedy. You you, you know what I'm saying? You got to, you know, like you said, it's it could go all over the place. There's a nuance I, to it. You know, there's a definite nuance. Like we have to be punk rock, but you also have to be well crafted. Like your joke has to be good. Yeah. And if the joke's not good, the joke's not good. That's the simple, you know, straight and narrow of it. Yeah, and I think the George Lopez thing was more about the culture. I think it's just uh he wasn't making fun of the fact that, you know, don't he wasn't saying don't they black woman you know he was saying more like you know for some reason our culture tells us this and he was just trying to make it in a funny way you know just saying like you know hispanic people's like oh don't they black people but he's not saying it because they're black he's saying like for some reason we have a that's just a bad uh what is it called bad uh tradition i guess that hispanic people have in their heads and i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna remember george lopez more for getting a kidney from his wife and then cheating on her so yeah that's- <laughs> <you know? laughs> Oh man, it's true. That was that was petty. That was petty. <laughs> yeah, that was petty. Uh, so, what advice would you have for someone like, for example, like myself? I have never done stand up, right? But yeah. I love stand up, and I want to do it. It's one of those bucket list things that I just—I don't know if I'll be good at it. I have like a whole file of jokes that I've written. I just have never said, "Okay, today's the day. I'm just gonna go do it." Like, what advice do you have for someone like myself who just wants to give it a shot? You, I mean, you've got two paths. One is just get it up and. Go give it a shot. 
you know, there's, there are still some open mics here in Vegas. Go, just go do it. Um, it may suck a lot the first time or, you know, go take a class. There are classes I know happening in Vegas or some happening online in other States. And it'll at least give you confidence to know that that first set that you're going to go out with, you've had somebody kind of check your work, you know, you're not turning in your essay done without anybody looking over it. Somebody came through and dotted your eyes across your T's and that's, gives you a little bit of comfort. There are a lot of people who are anti-classes and I don't understand why. Um, it's not that if you take a class, it means, well, now you don't have to go to open mics. No, you have to go to open mics. This isn't a, a, a maybe, no, you have to until you get so big that you can just pop on to any little show you want, do 15 minutes. I saw this once with one of the Wayne's brothers. It was the most awful thing in the world. He talked for 25 minutes and it was so depressing about his divorce. And like, <laughs> I was like, this yeah. isn't funny, but he, it was, I think it was Damon Wayans. He could, he's Damon Wayans. He he's can Damon do whatever Wayans, the wells yeah. he got, you know, and he's going to pop onto the show and you're going to listen to him for 20 minutes, drone on and on. And that's his open mic. So as you're coming up, you just got to go to yours and you've got to work and you've got to work on your material. And if you're like, well, I don't feel like writing anything today. Great. Practice the stuff you've already got. Listen to it. Listen to how long is it taking you to tell this joke? You know, you have to get to the most succinct idea as fast as possible. You can't set up for a minute and then do a punchline. Though I also don't believe in you have to have three to five laughs a minute. That doesn't work that way either. But you need to make sure you're telling things in the most concise way possible. Um, I recommend classes. You don't have to go to an open mic. And then the other thing I would say is there's no time frame on when you have to do it. I am, you know, I'm going to reveal my age. I'm going to be 41 this year. I started comedy at 38, female, person of color. Uh, but yet I got a manager. I got an agent who, if you told anybody you wanted to do that as 38, they'd be like, it'll never happen. Nothing will ever happen for you. Nothing. You know, it, you're too late. You're too old. You started, you know, way past your prime. Fuck them. Who's, who's to tell you what your timeline is? Who's the one to tell you? You, you, that's it. You tell yourself what your timeline is going to be. You tell yourself how fast you're going to go. You tell yourself what your goals and your milestones are and you meet them. Don't listen to anybody else. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's, no, that was awesome. That's real deep. <laughs> That's real. That's crazy. Well, guys, we only got four minutes. <laughs> oh, dear. See, I'm I told you I talk forever. I talk. No, that's, too that's what we want. <laughs> that's what we yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, uh, I was going to say, yeah, you want to wrap it up? Uh, Heather, any, any, any stories you want to share with us? You know what I'm saying? Any stories? or uh, I'll do my bit. That's like usually the okay. one that everybody loves to hear. Um, so I do have an older sister. And my mom likes to refer to her as the Korean daughter. Well, I am the American daughter. Can you guess which one's the favorite? I'll, get, I'll give you another clue, okay? Um, we both have Korean names. My sister's name translates to the phrase eternal beauty. It's beautiful, right? So beautiful. <laughs> my Korean name translates to the number two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that universal colloquialism for taking a dump. But it, but it's okay though you know it's okay because I got the Asian brain so I am good at math and bad at driving. <laughs> Asian brain, Wonder Bread loving white body. Now my sister, she got the Asian slim body and the white brain, so she's dumb. <laughs> okay, she's not like dumb dumb. She's just Asian dumb. That's white people smart. Oh shit! <laughs> <There you go. laughs> That's crazy. 
Wow. Like that. I like that. I like that. That's Dang, good. That's you good. Had a sister. Yeah. That's... Do you have some clips on YouTube that we can look up? I do. Uh, things are getting reworked right now, but follow at Ohethera. Uh, my TikTok is really the thing that's kind of, I'm putting everything on right now. I'm trying to do what the kids are into, you know? I don't have a TikTok. <laughs> what? <laughs> I got one, girl. I yeah. refuse to get it's on it. <laughs>